This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. My name's Jennifer Davis. I am Development Director at the Philharmonia Orchestra, resident at the Royal Festival Hall, but also at five venues and cities across the UK. Um, I've been invited to talk to you today about strategy, structures and systems. So namely, how to map out your fundraising strategy, what structures you need to put in place in order to enable your strategy to take off and start generating income for your arts organisation, and what systems should be implemented across your organisation. Why am I qualified to talk to you about these things? Well... I've developed a good range of experience across different art forms, music, theatre and dance. And I've also worked regionally and in London. And in fact, in my current role at the Philharmonia, we have an enormous programme in London, but we also have membership programmes in Bedford and Leicester. So I've got a good understanding of the radical differences fundraising both in London and regionally. I've also, in my current role, expanded the team from three to seven And how did I do that? By writing a comprehensive fundraising strategy that proved putting resources into the fundraising would have a return on investment. Okay, the fundraising strategy. If you take the following four points as starting points, extrapolate them out, you will have the skeleton of a very comprehensive fundraising strategy that's far-reaching, covers many different sources of potential income and that will be the strongest argument for the need to put extra resources into your area. So, number one, what? When I first began at the Philharmonia, for various reasons, nobody's fault at all, there'd been a year without a development director. Thanks to a brilliant and inspirational managing director, the ship was on course, but it's fair to say we were firefighting. If I'd written a fundraising strategy on day two, it would have been rubbish and fit for the bin. You have to understand your arts organisation, and that takes time. You need to be able to define what you're fundraising for. So you need to understand the culture of the arts organisation and all the enormous breadth of activity you're offering and what elements of that you can attract income for. You need to know what you're fundraising for. Secondly, the method. You need to agree on a fundraising technique, and this needs to permeate every strand of your fundraising strategy. And I'm convinced that for 100% of people in this room, it will be relationship-based technique fundraising. This is critical. It's not the technique that everybody needs to employ. The enormous great cultural institutions can employ a more sales-based focused technique. Um, They can sit at their desk and the phone can ring. And it can be a business wanting to go into partnership. And stuff of fantasy doesn't work for most of us. And that's why relationship-based fundraising technique will be the driver for in order for you to be able to raise funds. Relationships with individuals, relationships with businesses, most crucially, relationships with committees and your board members that are going to open those doors. Number three, the detail. This is 90% of your strategy and is what I will come on to in more detail. Where are the opportunities? You need to set realistic budgeted targets across the four main areas of fundraising that I'll come to and also realistic expenditure. It's going to cost money, but you're going to prove through your strategy that there will be a serious return on the investment. And you need to find a trump card. Every year your fundraising needs a lift. 
You need to have an anniversary, you know, invent one. It was your founder's 65th birthday on so-and-so. Create an anniversary, create a moment, create a campaign. Um, find a patron and celebrate his patronage. You need something to lift it every year to attract those additional donations. And how are you going to do this? You need more people, or you need more resources, and you need more staff. And how are you going to win that argument? Through your strategy. I had a flick through my strategy before making this presentation, and my strategy for this year is 56 pages long. And the bad news is you haven't got time to write a strategy because you're too busy trying to madly raise money and keep the show on the road. <coughs> How do you do it? You have to do it at weekends and in the evenings after the baby's gone to bed, and that's the reality. Basically, you haven't got time to write one, but you have to, and it will transform your fundraising. Okay, the four main areas of fundraising. The other thing I should say, the formatting's gone awry. At the Philharmonia, apparently, we have the oldest version of PowerPoint known to man. It's prehistoric. The Arts Council have the newest, and the two don't speak. So forgive for things slightly going awry on the formatting. Presentation is very important. Do not follow this example. Um, four main points of fundraising. Individual giving, trusts and foundations, business partnerships, and events. Um, this is a very interesting chart, and this gives you a little insight into how the Philharmonia's four main areas of fundraising break down, but it can vary radically. This is the current financial year. Keep your eye on the Trusts and Foundations and Events column. This was last year. Radical difference. Now, you have to be able to respond back to this year to the current area of need. This year I'm fundraising for enormous great digital installation that's going to take over the Science Museum just before the Cultural Olympiad. It's a half a million pound project and I'm primarily fundraising from trusts and foundations for it. Last year we had an enormous fundraiser with our patron the Prince of Wales at Windsor Castle. That dominated a lot of my time and that's where a huge proportion of the income came from. You have to be able to free up time for you, your lead fundraiser, to be able to fundraise most effectively from whatever the greatest area of need is. When I began at the Philharmonia, I spent the first six weeks running a gala in Bedford that raised £2,500. I had no choice. There was nobody else to do it. And I had to shift things so I could create a scenario whereby that was incredibly worthwhile. It's absolutely key to our residency in Bedford, but it's not the best use of your chief fundraiser's time to be doing that. And your strategy needs to be able to free up your time to focus on the big areas of fundraising. So, individual giving. Now, in fact, those two years aren't entirely typical for us. Individual giving usually constitutes 70% of where we raise our money from at the Philharmonia Orchestra. Um, everybody's always talking about individual giving um, pyramids. And these things bore me slightly, but I suppose it's slightly useful to actually make sure you're not missing everything if you think about a pyramid. Because of the formatting, you're missing the blue box. The blue box is your um, membership schemes, your high to mid-range membership schemes, your ways of engaging people at that level. Um, top of the pyramid, major donor. My priority this year was to become re less reliant on one principal donor and create three major donors. And we're getting there. Bread and butter, second rung down. Now, the blue box is actually very important. These are our higher-level membership schemes. We've created four different tiers of membership with a raft of benefits against each member to get people engaged with the orchestra regularly throughout the year in exchange for a range of benefits. We'll come on to gift aid, crucial. But, but you need to remember those people that will be passionate about your art form. There are some people who want to support us who want to support a certain section in the orchestra. 
project-specific support. We've created a scheme specially for them. So think about those niche areas of your art form that will attract the people that are passionate about what you do. It won't work for everybody. The specificity of that would put off people who just want to support us generally. You need both. What was traditionally the bottom rung? Lower level membership scheme. Ideally, the thousands of people that want to join as friends, that want to give you £50 a year, less, £35 a year, in order for a range of benefits. Your bread and butter, people that are buying your concert tickets, the people that are coming to your arts organisation, that are coming to the theatre, that are coming through the door. Those are the people that you can have a relationship with on a huge scale who are your potential mid-range donors of the future. The, the bottom rung of the, of the, of the pyramid Crowdfunding, social networking, point of sale donations, all the people that have that sporadic point of contact with your organisation. There's a masterclass later on crowdfunding, so I won't go into too much detail on that now. The problem with a pyramid is you're going to neglect the outside. The major campaign is really important because if you identify something that you can really capture people's imagination with throughout your organisation, you can engage everybody from your major donor down to the person giving you £3 at point of sale. Don't get too obsessed with the pyramid. Think about the bigger picture. You can get a keystone donation from your major donor to underwrite a campaign and get everybody incentivised to give down the pyramid. Legacy giving, where does that fit in? It applies to everybody, perhaps possibly not the bottom rung. Again, peer-to-peer, -peer, chief executive of the organisation, asking your major donor to leave them at legacy. Do an event, invite your friends along, stand up in front of them and talk to them that they'll live for five years longer if they give you a donation in their will. Apparently true. <laughs> Can lighten the tone somewhat when you're talking about death. Um, number two, trust and foundations. Um, Trusts usually, usually, not always, but usually fund non-core work. So again, it's a case of managing expectations there within your arts organisation. They're going to support elements of your programme that are, in our, in our case, probably not on the concert platform that takes place off the concert platform. Um, you need to uh, think about a two-tier strategic approach to your trust and foundations fundraising. Again, a masterclass later, not room for a huge amount of detail here. However, um, you should concentrate on approaching the major trusts and foundations to collaboratively develop proposals for your key projects, but don't neglect the smaller trusts and foundations. Again, tailored applications, contact them in advice where, where invited, but that's where the mass of your applications are going to be going out, as long as they're specifically tailored. Within your strategy, list the projects you need to fund with targets, match to a list of trust prospects, and set a strict timetable and keep to it. You'll have a mass of applications going out and you will see a return. Common misconceptions. I love trust and foundations. This is where I started. This was my specialism. And there was a misconception that a trust and foundation fundraiser was very bookish, beavering away at their computer and flicking through their, their book and completely isolated and working in isolation. It's rot. If your trust and foundations person is doing that, they're not doing their job properly. This is the greatest advocate for fundraising in your arts organisation. They should be out talking to everybody within your arts organisation, getting to grips with the entire raft of your programme and being an ambassador for what the fundraising team can achieve if they get to know your work better. So that person is there on the grassroots, seeing the workshops and getting to know what your arts organisation is all about and communicating that passion as Robert was referring to earlier, communicating that passion to the people that can potentially support your work. Business partnerships, what a headache. Um, problematic, time-consuming, and the rot has been setting in for many years. Um, 
I don't know what to say about uh, business partnerships, really. It's a real slog. And again, it's not there for the taking. I really think this is the one area whereby if you pile a lot of resource in, you're not necessarily going to see a return. Um, it's something that it can work really well. And certainly for the major brands, it works brilliantly. For everybody else, relationships, relationships, relationships. With regards to your strategy, cover the following four areas. Think about your main organisation and ideally what you could offer a partner for sponsorship of your entire organisation or sponsorship of a main theme or strand of your work. Make sure you have um, entry points that are more modest for businesses to take part of too. Membership schemes, corporate patronage. In kind, the greatest area of growth within businesses today, free stuff in exchange for benefits. Don't give too much. Make sure that you're getting absolute value from your in-kind partnerships. And fourthly, and often neglected, income generation. What areas of your arts organisation's output can you harness and generate income from? Example, arts-based training, for example. How do, sorry, how do you do all this? Your committees, your boards, opening those doors. We'll come to that at the end of the presentation. Fourthly, special events. Um, these are crucial and they're time consuming, but these are where your donors of the future are coming from. And it's also that crucial point of contact with your donors throughout the year. Annual gala, aim to put on one major event a year, um, depending on the scale. I mean, the scale of events that we put on with the Prince of Wales, we can do every two or three years because they're just so big, we wouldn't have the resources to equip that. But we also run regular series of events throughout the year which are much more modestly priced and which enable people to come into contact with us regularly and also enable new people who are interested in our work to maintain contact with us. Cultivation, none of us have got any money for cultivation. Try to set aside some free tickets within each of your event in which to cultivate new people. Invite them along for free, get to know them, they're your donors of the future. Collaborating with other arts organisations on fundraising events. Um, mixed feelings on this one. Um, it's something that works very well for us regionally, pairing up with a conventional third sector charity, a hospital, a hospice. Um, it enables people to think of us philanthropically because, as Robert said, they don't amongst the arts. It's not conventionally charitable, so it's very difficult to tap into that need for income. Um, on a bigger scale... Whenever I've done collaborative events in London, I've ended up doing 90% of the work and having to give 50% of the money away. Um, there can be other benefits. We did a big gala with... Um, I, I teamed up with the Gorbachev Foundation a couple of years ago and did a big gala. So I got along Mikhail Gorbachev. I got Lady Thatcher along Prince, and Prince Michael of Kent. Oh, the makings there of a really exciting, interesting evening. Um, I did all the work and gave away 50% of the money, but probably wouldn't have raised that if I hadn't got those people in the room, and that wouldn't have happened without that collaboration with the Gorbachev Foundation. That's a big example. Our, our um, collaborations in Bedford and Leicester work just as well on a smaller level. Okay, shooting on. Um, resources. What do we need to do to make all of this happen? We need to manage expectations within the organisation because it takes time. Um, it'll take at least a year to build capacity in order to start seeing a return on, on, on your investment. Um, when I started as trust manager at the London Symphony Orchestra many, many years ago, it took me six months to get my first big check-in, which was fine. I had a brilliant development director, um, 
who understood the amount of time it takes when you're starting from scratch but you must manage those expectations. If people are wobbling, you've got your brilliant strategy, which will map where you're going to get to. Um, okay, staffing. Um, Prioritise the fundraising area of greatest potential. It's individual giving. It is, it's individual giving. This is the area of growth, and this is the area where you can increase your income generation. Um, they need to be focusing on prospecting, acquisition, servicing, increased involvement. It's a big job. Committees will come to. Fourthly, other resources, VAT gift aid advice. I'll leave Philip to talk about that later on. But um, it's crucial if you're developing a membership scheme that you get it properly assessed for the VAT that's liable upon it and you need to get your gift aid regulations signed off in writing by HMRC and it's a minefield and it's time consuming and advice costs money. Um, DSC resources, I'm sure we all know about the Directory of Social Change, Guide to the Grant Making Trusts, trustfunding.org, crucial. Absolutely have to have that, have to have it for fundraising effectively from trusts and foundations. Um, and wider research, okay, um, the free papers, FT, um, the bulletins, British American Business, Arts and Business Resources, tapping into all of that to keep up to date with who's doing what in your area. Uh, this one's gone quite awry. You can just about see it. Um, systems and structures in place for donor management. Okay, so if you're going to put your resources into individual giving, when assessing what you need, keep bringing it back to three points. Acquisition, retention, increased giving. Acquisition. Where are your donors of the future coming from? Your box office, your sales team, the visitors to your arts organisation. Once you've got them, think about the following tricks and tools. Telephone fundraising campaign can work very effectively. It's an investment, it costs money. You will see a return if the quality of your data is good enough. Matched giving campaign. Um, if you can engage one of your donors to be able to match everybody up to a certain level, offer half-price memberships, hook them in for a year, develop a relationship with them, then retain them at the full value the following year. Committee engagement, get people behind the spirit of um, wanting to increase your donor pool. Get them all to suggest ten names of people who enjoy going to the arts. Do letters personally from them and get them involved in that campaign to get new people involved. Your events programme we talked about, key. Direct asks, peer-to-peer, -peer, go to meet people, infuse with them personally about what your arts organisation can offer and why you're special and why you're making a difference. Social networking campaigns, mixed feelings on this. Long-term plan, if you're beginning to engage people through Facebook and Twitter, perhaps in two to three years' time, they'll be familiar enough with your communication style in order to be able to drop in asks. Not convinced myself, possibly. Well, I think we'll hear more about that a little bit later on. Retention, once you've got them, look after them. Develop your individual giving schemes. Make sure it's deliverable. Make sure you have an interesting enough range of benefits so they're going to keep coming back to you year upon year. Once you've got them, you need to move them up the ladder. Some of them will stay in their slot forever. That's fine. A lot of them have the potential to give more. This is where your campaigns come in. This is how you ask for additional donations. Your campaigns, your, your appeals and your anniversaries, as we referred to earlier, but also your legacy communications with your existing support who understand you and who want to make sure that that seat next to them in 50 years time is occupied by somebody. Get them to feel passionate about the continuity of what you're offering. Okay, conclusion. Um, this points to increased staffing. It, it points to brilliant liaison with your committees or your boards. 
CRM system, you need a decent fundraising database to track who you're talking to, your prospecting, where you're going to with them, when they last gave, when you want them to give. HMRC VAT advice, crucial that we've touched upon. You need some print, you need to be able to communicate to people in writing what it is that you're trying to do. Hopefully some online facility for giving or a point of sale donation at the point of buying a ticket. Um, these are all things which, 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 which require investment, that don't come straight away, that cost money, but from which you will see a return ultimately, and organisation-wide buy-in, cultural change that I'll finish upon. Before I do, the role of the board, critical for relationship-based fundraising. Um, I'm always slightly cautious about saying everybody on the board should give, simply because that could never work for us because we're a self-governing orchestra, and most of our board are musicians and players scrabbling around themselves. If I ask them to make a donation, I think they'd throw themselves off the top of our building. Um, if the governance structure dictates that it's simply not possible to ask your board to do that, create a different structure. Won't never work for the Philharmonia. Create a new board, create a new trust, create a new council, and then absolutely everybody on that board, everybody should be donating to you. How much? Don't set an amount. They need to give at a level that's appropriate and meaningful to them. And that phrase in itself can unlock the £50 and it can <coughs> unlock the £50,000. Um, their role is also to introduce new people who could potentially give to you businesses, individuals, perhaps relationships with trustees of a charitable trust and foundations. Figurehead access. If you know somebody who, uh, Tiggy Pinkington Smythe, who played croquet with Prince William when they were nine and they're still best friends, marvellous, get them on your board. Because if you can get an access to somebody who's going to be a key figurehead for your arts organisation, then, my goodness, that's worth its weight in gold. Um, caution, big red warning triangle, um, be very clear on the mission of your board. They need to understand what they're there for, otherwise they'll become frustrated and feel as though they're not able to support you in the way that they should be doing. Remit, very, very clear. We want, we'd like you to introduce two people this year. We'd like you to find us a corporate member. We'd like you to give us ten names for our new membership scheme. Thirdly, fixed term. Make sure there's a term on your membership. Four years with an option of renewing four. Then you can get rid of the people who aren't delivering after four years and you can retain the excellent people for almost a decade. The following structure, that works well for us. I have a senior board, a senior board of trustees who are all engaged with philanthropy and fundraising for the organisation who I liaise with all the time. But now the structure and size that we are, I also have smaller committees that some of my team looks after. An individual giving committee, a corporate committee and a membership committee. That's taken four years to get to that point. Finally, culture change. How do you infuse everybody in your organisation with the importance of fundraising? It's your job. In the same way that you get your supporters to be passionate about your work, it's the same technique to get your culture, culture of your organisation behind you. Do it through your strategy. Your strategy is going to outline every area of your arts organisation's work and how you can grow each of those areas. How wonderful for the people that are delivering your programme. Fulfill this, we'll be able to raise more money and do more with your areas of your programme. Perhaps engage the whole organisation with three new initiatives. Your telephone fundraising campaign, your match-giving campaign, a legacy campaign. It can be anything. But get everybody involved and make sure everybody's aware of what you're trying to achieve. And ultimately, if you're meeting a real block in one potential area, 
and there's an element of your organisation that is never going to get behind the fundraising and just is, is simply not interested, then perhaps it's time for them to get a job they like. There's no, this, is, this is the way forward. It is so tough at the moment out there. It's the most competitive environment I've ever fundraised in. And coming back to Engineer's point earlier on, absolutely. Um, it's about collaboration and not competing and creating a completely professionalised environment in which people can have access to the arts, enjoy the arts and understand there's a personal responsibility to give in order to make great art happen. I hope that's been helpful. It's an enormous whistle-stop tour. Um, the importance of the strategy, I think, can transform your organisation and... I think it's the key, in a way, to thinking about the whole catalyst process because this is your argument. This is the way that you're going to raise the money. This is the way that you're going to have a return on investment. Um, I'll be circulating when we talk, so if anybody has any specific questions, then please do ask. But, and um, very best of luck. And we have a small task for you now, which I've been asked to talk to you about. Um, yes, what are the implications of what I have just said at 100 miles an hour for your organisations? Um, look at what resources are required, how best to get them in place, whether there is a need for restructure, and how do you engage your organisation. Thank you very much indeed. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England.